from the Great Jonathan District Talking Newspaper Association. Welcome to Volume 41, Number 5 of Grapevine, recorded on the 5th of February 2021. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me this week is Aileen, this week's newsreader, who also finds a few stories you may have missed. The headlines this week include the sad news that a body has been found on Galston Beach, another local pub is being demolished, and it's nearly 90 years that the Pleasure Beach has been home to one of the world's oldest wooden roller coasters. As usual, though, we start with the first part of the news and are glad to welcome back Aileen. Well, hello everyone. This is Aileen recording again for the week ending the 5th of February. I have to say it does feel like ages since I last read and I'll give you a little um, update. I had surgery at the end of November for gallbladder and unfortunately it didn't go too well. There was a complication. So I went back to Paget on the 17th of December to have the mistake corrected and ended up with a bigger problem um, caused by a mistake by the anaesthetist. So it was all very unfortunate. I ended up being in Paget over Christmas and New Year. Um, however, the story goes well in that I am now feeling better. I am stronger. I am able to eat better. Um, and it was a really interesting experience, very sad and lonely with no visitors, as people that have been in hospital will know. Amazing service and treatment from all the staff there who are working their socks off. But Christmas at Padgett was a lonely place, no Christmas decorations, no carol singing. In fact, it didn't feel like Christmas at all. Um, I miss my family, but there were people there that were in a worse condition than I was so we always have to be grateful for that and look at other people and in fact it's quite um, sobering being in that situation where one day you think that everything is marvellous in your life and the next day you're facing some challenges and I found it particularly interesting that people were getting obsessed about trivial stuff and worrying about whether they'd got pigs in blankets ready for Christmas. But actually, for people that are not well, you just want to be well. So from that point of view, I found it a very good learning experience to take stock of your life and be grateful for things. So I'm very pleased to be able to be read to you again. Um, the other thing about hospital that was interesting, I thought particularly, was that we didn't get much talk of COVID in there. I know we were wearing masks as patients and the staff were well protected. But because you don't have access to a television like you do at home, you were given a bit of a reprieve from the details and relentless pressure of COVID, which of course is dominating so many lives and so many tragic stories. So that's where I've been. I am back. I'm not the only one that's been unwell, but of course I've been unwell not with COVID, which at the moment I'm managing to avoid and hope it will continue. So I hope you're well, continuing to be lockdown about to get worse weather I think because it's been not too bad compared to Scotland but anyway it's Aileen and I'm reading the news for the week ending the 5th of February.
The body of a man has been found on the beach at Galston. Police, the East of England Ambulance Service and HM Coast Guard rescue officers were called to Galston Beach about 10.25 on Saturday, January the 30th. Emergency services responded after a member of the public found the body on the shoreline on Galston Beach. A police spokesman said whilst informal identification procedures are yet to take place, the family of 44-year-old Mark Bland, who was reported missing in Galston on Friday the 20th of, 9th of January, have been informed. The death is not being treated as suspicious and police said a file would be prepared for the coroner ahead of an inquest which will take place in due course. Onlookers described seeing lots of police activity towards the Hopton end of Galston Beach as forensic officers and other emergency service vehicles rushed to the scene. Now, very sad story that and um, the sea is so particularly cold. Now the councillor to buy a car dealership in order to knock it down. A council is to buy a used car dealership so that it can demolish it because it stands in the way of a multi-million pound river crossing. Many people will remember it as the old Cluers Cars Audi dealership. Norfolk County Council has agreed to buy the South Deans Car Centre dealership in Great Yarmouth complete with its stock of cars so that it can knock it down. That is because the buildings at the car dealership in South Deans Roads are on the route for the town's Third River Crossing Scheme. The council will pay compensation to Cecil Spinks, who operates the business. While the land belongs to Great Yarmouth Borough Council, Mr Spinks owns the leasehold and the stock at the South Deans Road business. Those leases do not expire until 2064. So the County Council has agreed to buy both the leasehold interest and the business's stock of vehicles using compulsory purchase order powers. While the amount the Council has agreed to pay is being kept confidential, the Council says some of the money will be recouped through selling some of the stock of cars. A budget allowance has also been provided to cover the professional fees accrued by Mr Spinks since negotiations over the site began in 2017. The council will also pay stamp duty and land tax. Norfolk County Council's controlling Conservative Cabinet approved the acquisition at a meeting on Monday the 1st of February. Greg Peck, the council's Cabinet Member for Commercial Services, and Asset Management said the Cabinet had to take the decision as there were more than 20 years left on the lease. Otherwise, it could have been delegated to council officers. The County Council says the land will mainly become public highway while at any areas not needed for the Third River Crossing will remain in the freehold ownership of Great Yarmouth Borough Council and be available to them once the scheme is constructed. The third river crossing with a new lifting bridge will link the A47 at Harfreys Roundabout to the town's port and the Enterprise Zone on the other side of the river. The project is expected to cost £121 million, with the government having approved £98 million for the scheme. It is due to be open for use in early 2023. 
Now, a pub close to a site of a bridge tragedy is now for sale. A local pub with a link to a tragedy in the 19th century, which is earmarked for demolition, is up for sale. The Suspension Bridge Tavern on Bridge Road, Great Yarmouth, is for sale for £150,000 with planning for seven new apartments. The planning includes the required demolition of the existing building. When planning was sought back in 2017, a report said the pub was considered to be financially unviable, with the existing building not lending itself to any conversion and of no architectural importance. At the time, local pubs campaigner, County Councillor Mick Castle, said it was always sad to see pubs go. The pub is now for sale by online auction. The pub is named after the former bridge which collapsed in 1845, killing 79 people. A clown called Nelson had arranged, as a promotional stunt for a circus, for himself to sit in a barrel and be pulled down the river by four geese. Hundreds of people, mostly children, gathered on the suspension bridge over the River Bure to see the spectacle before it collapsed under the weight of the crowd. Now, I know that's a very sad story and people talk about it still. Huge tragedy, really. Now, a teenager has been charged after spitting. Police officers were spat at while arresting a teenager on suspicion of stealing a car and a motorbike. The vehicles were stolen on Sunday morning, January the 31st, in Great Yarmouth. Later in the morning, officers arrested two men in their late teens in connection with the thefts. During the arrests, one of the men spat at the four officers, hitting two of them. They were both taken to Great Yarmouth Police Centre where they were charged in connection with that morning's incidents as well as other offences committed in December. Jamie Smith, 19, of Devonshire Road in Yarmouth was charged with two counts of theft of a motor vehicle, two counts of assault on an emergency worker and two further counts of assault on a worker by beating and spitting. He was also charged with failing to stop for police, driving a vehicle without insurance, driving without a licence, dangerous driving and aggravated vehicle taking. And Marshall McKenna, who was also 19, of Deanside Great Yarmouth, was charged with two counts of theft of a motor vehicle, aggravated vehicle taking and dangerous driving. Now, a stabbing incident has occurred. An eight-person fight near the town centre saw one man being stabbed and two others left needing hospital treatment. This was in Great Yarmouth. Police are investigating the altercation which centred around a property in South Market Road last Sunday the 31st of January. According to Norfolk Constabulary, police were on patrol at around 10 o'clock at night when they found a man outside a house with a stab wound to his leg. Following hospital treatment, he was arrested and taken to Yarmouth Police Centre. Two men and a woman were later arrested in connection with the incident at another address in Galston. All four have been interviewed and released on police bail. A man in his 40s, also believed to be connected to the incident, was found at the Paget Hospital with serious injuries which are not life-threatening. He has been detained while he receives hospital treatment and will be questioned later. 
Police then arrested another man in his 40s on February the 1st. The man who was found with serious injuries was taken to hospital for treatment and has since returned to the police centre where he is being questioned by detectives. Police confirmed that while injuries are ongoing, it is believed that all involved were known to each other. One woman who lives on the street said the incident was a big shock for neighbours. She said it all kicked off at 10 o'clock on Sunday night with police there until 3am and then police returning the next morning. As of midday on Tuesday the 2nd, two police cars were on site and a cordon was in place. Now, a roller coaster story from Paris to Yarmouth. How we got to ride a roller coaster at the Pleasure Beach, which arrived in town nearly 90 years ago, is the heading. The clack of the carriage climbing high into the sky, the feeling in your stomach as you hurtle down the wooden track, the rush as you ride round corners thrown from side to side. Many of us have felt exhilaration on the roller coaster at Pleasure Beach in Great Yarmouth, but did you know it was shipped to the Norfolk coast from Paris? A scenic railway featured at the Pleasure Beach in its earliest years from 1909 to 1929, with some absences due to closure during the First World War and fire damage in 1919. But the roller coaster we see today was built in 1928 by Eric. Heydrich of Hamburg. Pat Collins, the owner of the Pleasure Beach, saw the attraction at the Colonial Exposition in Paris in 1931. He then purchased it and arranged for it to be shipped to Yarmouth. An article in the EDP on January the 21st, 1932, described the experience. Readers could expect from the new ride, highly spectacular, are to be its mountains, valleys and streams. The trip will begin on flatter lines, rapidly ascending to the top of the mountains, climbing to the highest peak of all and then swooping through what seems at first a solid wall of rock. Next, the passenger passes over a bridge, a viaduct and along a ravine with rapid swerves and alteration of level that will enhance the charms of the run. This has been closely copied from nature in all but the astonishing complexity of forms and features closely worked into the landscapes. On February 11th, 1932, the attraction arrived in Yarmouth from Rouen on the French steamer Cirque. Special electric cranes were brought to South Quay to unload the cargo, which took almost three days. A team of German workers then reconstructed the roller coaster at the Pleasure Beach and the ride opened in April 1932. The damage from a fire in 35 and a partial collapse in the 1970s required some reconstruction work to the structure. Steel panelling replaced the original timber cladding in the late 1970s but the configuration of the ride remains largely the same as the scenic railway that visitors enjoyed in the 1930s. The roller coaster, or the scenic railway as it was known locally, got some unexpected publicity when it featured in the video for the Scar Group Madness's number one hit from May 1982, House of Fun. Well, I didn't know that, I have to say. Lifelong learning.
there with House of Fun which featured the Pleasure Beach in its video. Well after that musical break let's move on to the second part of the news. A community garden is to close due to funding crisis as its income has been hit by Covid. A community garden project has been forced to close permanently due to lack of funds. The Community Roots, based in Queen Anne's Road, Great Yarmouth, has been run on behalf of Norfolk and Waveney Mind since it was set up in 2001. Its aim has been to help people to enjoy the physical and mental health benefits of gardening together. A statement said the decision had come at a time when demand for its services was growing. It said, after much consideration, the Board of Trustees at Norfolk and Waveney Mind have taken the difficult decision to close the Community Roots Horticultural Service by March the 31st this year. Sadly, COVID-19 has caused demand for our services, but at the same time decreased our income. We have been unable to secure sufficient funding to sustain the service moving forward and can no longer support it from the charity's reserves. We understand this news may be received with sadness, especially for those who have been personally involved with this project or know people who will be directly impacted by this decision. 
We are working closely with the people who use the service, volunteers and staff impacted by this announcement to ensure they are fully supported both in terms of their well-being and in finding alternative support, placements and employment. We are hugely grateful to the generosity of members of the public, the funders, the volunteers, the partner organisations and staff who have supported this service over the years which has benefited many people's lives. From March the 17th, service users will no longer be allowed on site, after which it will be cleared and finally closed on March the 31st. The garden allotment area had been hailed a real asset to the charity, allowing people to mingle and enjoy time outdoors with others who understood their issues. Bringing people together through a shared creative experience was helpful in boosting confidence and combating isolation, the charity has said. The garden has been a focus for numerous activities like pizza making, arts and crafts and musical performances aimed at helping individuals and families through challenging times. Now there's apparently some ghostly photos. Photographs have offered a, sh a snapshot of what lockdown looks like in Great Yarmouth. Though out of season, pictures of deserted streets and an empty seafront show the continued impact of Covid restrictions on the coastal town. Taken on January the 21st, the images show minimal signs of life. A few people out in the marketplace, the odd couple walking down Regent Road and hardly a soul braving the beach. Speaking last week, Carl Smith, leader of the council, said the majority of residents seem to be playing their part by only making essential journeys. He said, we have seen sharp rises locally, regionally and nationally in COVID infection rates in recent weeks and the government's response of imposing a lockdown and raising the alert level highlights that we must all take this very seriously. Nevertheless, there have been a few breaches of COVID legislation across Great Yarmouth since the lockdown was imposed, with one couple travelling nearly 130 miles to see the seals at Horsey and another travelling a similar distance for a taste of scrappy fish and chips. Now, staff at a school on the coast have shown their pride in their own heroes by taking to the playground to applaud the pupils and the parents. Northgate Primary School in Great Yarmouth held the clap for children on January the 21st when staff gathered and made as much noise as possible. The event was organised by Millie Pont, a year four teaching assistant, who said, We've been overwhelmed by the hard work and dedication the children and their parents have been putting in. It's been phenomenal, really. Staff, children and parents have been using Google Classrooms for learning during the third lockdown. Miss Pont said, we want to show the community the hard work our students and parents are doing in such hard times. We're so proud of what they are achieving. She also said the children have been so resilient, they're all just getting on with things, she added. Now, businesses forced to shut in January will automatically have received a handout of up to £4,500, as well as a one-off payment. The latest local restriction support grant is a payment for the six weeks from January the 5th for eligible businesses. 
and they are available depending on the rateable value. So, Carl Smith, the leader, said we are pleased to have received further funds from the government to help our local businesses during this third lockdown, which will be paid out shortly. If you are a business with an immediate concerns, then please get in touch. For businesses which have not applied for a local restriction support grant since November but think they might be eligible, the criteria and application form can be found on the council website. They need to get in touch soon. Now, demolition work starts on an independent living scheme complex in Acol. The first step has been taken towards the creation of more than 50 affordable homes on the site of a former care centre in Norfolk. The Herondale Respite Care Centre in Acol has been demolished, making way for 58 new affordable homes to be built on the site. Saffron Housing Trust alongside Norfolk County Council and Norse Care will create 41 affordable rent and 17 shared ownership homes for over 55s with care needs, which will allow them to live independently. The one and two bedroom self-contained flats will allow elderly residents to maintain their independence for longer, said the Housing Trust. Included on the site will be communal spaces like a lounge, activity room, cafe and retail space, and also a hairdresser along with other outdoor areas. Saffron's Head of Development, Faith Davis, said, I'm delighted work is underway for this exciting project, as we believe it will make a significant difference to the lives and lots of people. The location and facilities will create greater opportunities, help reduce isolation and allow residents to still feel part of the community as they grow older and their needs change. Norfolk County Council's Executive Director for Adult Social Services, James Bullion, added, I'm very pleased that we are investing in this development, working closely with our partners to address future housing demand. Providing alternatives to residential care is so important for our ageing population to give our elderly residents the chance to remain in their own homes close to family and friends. We know that this brings vital positive effects to physical and mental health and these independent living homes play a key role in making that possible. It was announced last April that £1.3 million would be given to Saffron by the County Council to help fund the development. The cash came from County Hall's £29 million Living Well Homes for Norfolk Scheme set up to help get independent living housing built with the aim of keeping people out of care homes. The building work will be carried out by Norfolk-based firm R.G. Carter and is expected to be completed by autumn 2022. Now, Fire on the Water Festival has been postponed and to you and me, that is the Out There Festival. The festival is being cancelled and is devastating for the town as it is a magical blazing display. It has been postponed. The Out There Arts have been heavily trailing its fire on the water experience on social media due to take place at a secret location in March. It was billed as an immersive experience with dramatic outdoor arts, hypnotic water projections 
and shining installations to see out the last days of winter as glowing embers leap and twirl in the night, warming the hearts of all who spectate. People were being asked to sign up to the first to know with a launch announcement expected this week. However, a post on the arts charity website said the event had been postponed amid public health concerns about the spread of coronavirus and the national lockdown. The post said the decision was made following advice from central government and leading health experts to cancel all mass gatherings until a further review in the following months. The Out There Arts team will still continue to work on the project, ensuring its quality meets the standards of our superb cultural portfolio. We will still be sharing information about the event in the coming weeks, so please do stay tuned to our social media networks and mailing lists. We can't wait to share what we've been cooking up over these last few months. In the meantime, stay safe and stay connected. The charity has a proven track record of bringing spectacular entertainment to the town. The quirky Out There Festival draws an audience of tens of thousands to multiple locations across the town, notably St George's Park and the Seafront, helping to drive Yarmouth's growing reputation as a hub for circus and arts. Rebranded as Out There Arts, it is looking to redevelop the old ice house in Great Yarmouth into a circus hub for skills and fabrication, as well as a venue for performances. The scheme is tipped as bringing to life the dreary West Bank. Well, with a bit of shortage of news stories this week, Aileen has been looking at some stories you may have missed. Now, I know some of you will have received your vaccine or are going to have it. But how will COVID-19 vaccine change your life and, in even more detail, your finances? The COVID-19 vaccine is a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel, says a financial expert. Despite predictable carping and petulant displays of unnecessary pessimism from the usual suspects intent on blaming everything on either President Trump's departure or Brexit, The fact is the COVID vaccine is here and unlike anywhere else in Europe, it has been administered at a cracking pace. At last, we have some good news. At last, there's light at the end of what has been a murderously long pitch dark tunnel. Yet by this weekend, more than 8 million people will have been vaccinated since early January as millions more line up to receive the jab marked Freedom. The UK expects to have most adults inoculated by late summer, although I'm not sure we can expect the immediate reassurance of busy high streets, packed restaurants, chock-full theatres and crowded pubs. Instead, I suspect we're more likely to witness a tentative mask-wearing return to normality. However, if trying to book a holiday is an indication, we can anticipate a prolonged period of jam-packed planes, trains, automobiles and cruise ships. Furthermore, holiday demand will not be short-lived. Most of us have at some point during three separate lockdowns, it's incredible just writing those words, have spent time reflecting upon our lives. Following lengthy periods re-evaluating priorities, many people have decided to change their lives for what they believe is for the better. Let's wish them well. I have only anecdotal evidence assembled from a tiny sample of people. 
with which to support the above theory, but if it's accurate and applicable to a much larger number, I believe that the singular quest to accumulate money will pay a less central role in our lives, especially as those in middle and later ages. It might sound a bit daft, but I suspect that millions of folks have decided there are more important things in life than the pursuit of the filthy, lucrative and concluded with a half-decent pension and a fair wind, they actually might have enough money so far. However, we cannot ignore the role played by cash altogether, which explains why the popularity of equity release to those aged 55 plus shows no sign of diminishing, not least because it effectively kills two birds with one stone. Firstly, it can generate a significant amount of tax-free cash in a one-off transaction. And second, it allows those people who decided during lockdown that they would prefer to wind down from work but couldn't previously afford it to do so with almost immediate effect. The start point for many folks contemplating equity release is to get an idea of how much capital they could access by using a simple equity release calculator. However, even if the resultant figures come as a pleasant shock, it's worth noting that equity release isn't everyone's cup of tea and taking professional advice before proceeding is essential. The equity release process is not dissimilar to buying or selling a house in terms of the time it takes and the legal involvement. Allowing two to three months to complete the transaction is generally considered prudent. So let's fast forward a few months and assume that having taken advice, you've successfully released a proportion of the hidden wealth tied up in your home and are now sitting on a pile of tax-free cash. What do you do next? As suggested above, and depending upon your financial circumstances, it could be worth setting part of this lump sum aside to supplement a pension or an incoming freelance salary, perhaps. Thereafter, the world's your lobster, as Rodney Trotter used to declare on Only Fools and Horses. How you use the remaining money is determined only by your imagination. You may be able to buy a small holiday home. You may prefer to pack your bags and head off on a world cruise. You may wish to buy a piano and hire a tutor to help you learn how to play. What you do with the money released from your home is entirely your affair. But before you part with a penny of it, recall the quiet time spent during lockdown when you mulled over various ambitions and consider whether you're giving yourself the opportunity to fulfil them. Then ask yourself, what am I waiting for? And this article was from Peter Sharkey, who is a financial expert, just giving you things to think about. Now, just a, a couple of small items just to make you think. 75 is now the age. The Ministry of Justice is expecting to announce next month that magistrates will be allowed to continue working until they reach the age of 75. It will be the first increase in their retirement age in more than 50 years. Now also, 202 million is a book sales figure, can you imagine? According to book sales monitor Nielsen Bookscan, 
202 million printed books were sold in the UK last year, the first time since 2012 the volume of physical books sold has exceeded £200 million. Nielsen estimate the value of books sold was £1.76 billion. Interesting, really, because my husband tends to read mostly the newspaper. I like to read an old-fashioned book, but new, younger people like to read an electronic Kindle style. But I do like turning the pages on a book. And do you have a nap in the afternoon? It's doing you more good than you think to have a mid-afternoon nap. Chinese scientists have found that even a five-minute nap in the afternoon significantly improves mental agility. The most beneficial nap is one that lasts no longer than 40 minutes. So don't feel guilty or apologise for having a little siesta. Rise and shine, sleepy Joe, now's the time, don't you know, to get into a new kind of dream. You've been living alone with no bell telephone, and you don't have a shed that is clean. You can rest your head on the corner of your bed, you can watch the world go you're never gonna see what the other people see if you're always gonna be a sleepy joe rise and shine sleepy joe there are places to go there are windows to clean on the way you've got nothing to lose but a shine on your shoes do the best things you can every day you can get upset at the way that people get You can turn your back on the crowd But you're never gonna see What is absolutely real If you're always gonna be a sleepy Joe La 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 Herman's Hermits from the 60s followed very closely 
by the last part of the news. Now we have some more COVID statistics for you, because almost a quarter of people in Norfolk and Waverney have now had COVID vaccine. Just under a quarter of people in Norfolk and Waverney have now had at least one dose of the coronavirus vaccine as the rollout starts to work down the age groups. Latest figures released on Thursday showed more than 80% of those aged 75 to 79 in the region have had the jab and a third of 70 to 74-year-olds. Those two age groups were in the third and fourth priority groups for the vaccine, showing that progress is going well. Another 63,500 people under 70 have also been vaccinated. That includes frontline health and care staff and vulnerable adults. In total, almost 200,000 first and second doses have now been administered in Norfolk and Waveney meaning 22% of the population have had a dose. That puts the region among the top three areas in the country for the percentage of people jabbed. In Suffolk and North Essex, almost 20% of people have also had their first jab. Alex Stewart from patient group Healthwatch Norfolk hailed the figures as impressive. We've heard nothing but praise for staff about the way the rollout has been handled, he said. Local NHS bosses also said on Thursday they had met their target of offering a first dose to all over 80s in Norfolk and Waveney by the end of January, but that does not mean that everyone had the vaccine. NHS figures showed 91% of over 80s have been vaccinated, as some chose not to get the jab, while others did not show up to an appointment or did not respond to the invite. However, That is still the highest figure in East England. In Suffolk and North Essex, 89% have been jabbed. The government aims to have everyone in its top four priority groups vaccinated with a first dose by mid-February. That includes all over 70s, all adults classed as clinically extremely vulnerable and all frontline health and care staff. It is on track to meet that target with more than 10 million people now vaccinated. After that, the programme will move on to the remaining 15 million over 50s in the UK and at-risk adults, such as those with asthma and who are severely overweight. It takes up to three weeks for the vaccine to give people protection, meaning there is a delay before it starts impacting hospital admissions and case numbers. But Norfolk's Director of Public Health, Dr Louise Smith, said she was hopeful that the rollout would now lead to a reduction in the number of people who need to be admitted to hospital. Now, more news from Hemsby. People power wins as a 150 home plan has been turned down. Councillors have heard the cry of desperate villagers who launched a petition against an 150-strong homes bid near the coast. Participants of Great Yarmouth Borough Council's Development Control Committee voted unanimously to refuse planning permission for a housing development at Hemsby. The applicants, GVD Strategic Land Promotion, had promised 50% of the new homes at the Highfield Equestrian Site currently compromising fields and a riding track, would be affordable. But Senior Planning Officer Gordon Sutherland said this had little weight 
and no attention had been given to viability access. Not enough information had been supplied to the council ahead of the meeting. Introducing the proposal, he said, The site in question is outside the development boundary of Hemsby, so residential development should only be permitted in exceptional circumstances. Alongside the 192 homes being developed at the nearby Pontin site, the council had already had to demonstrate a 6.1-year housing supply in the borough. This extra development is not necessary. He read out the main concerns highlighted in 33 objection letters, with five more added since the deadline. These were flooding, the sacrifice of Grade 1 agricultural land, heavy traffic at the site's proposed access route on Yarmouth Road, the fact that services were already at capacity and fears the rural character of Hemsby would be spoiled. Peter Atkins, speaking on behalf of the applicant, said it was a high-quality scheme which is sustainable and accessible. He countered that the council had met its five-year housing supply, suggesting that delayed projects and missed targets meant only a 4.5-year housing supply was in place. He added, We haven't provided an affordable housing viability report because this application was somewhat rushed to committee, and we were only given two days to prepare evidence. But the landowner and developer have assured the council of their commitments to 50% affordable homes, and we already have two housing associations ready to move in if this is approved. Hannah Gray, speaking on behalf of Hemsby Village Plan Neighbourhood Steering Group, said the council should pay attention to the strength of opinion shown by the 605 locals who had signed the petition. Meanwhile, the chair of Hemsby Parish Council said, why turn our village into a concrete jungle? And Councillor Paul Hammond added, the amount of flooding on Beach Road every time we have heavy rains means it would be a madness to approve this. And I have to say there's a huge amount of development going on there, it really is. Now burglary again. Retailers are being warned to be vigilant after a burglary at a shop in Great Yarmouth. A man entered McCall's store on Barkis Road at approximately 2 o'clock on Tuesday, February the 2nd and went to the counter to pay for a can of drink. He then distracted a member of staff by requesting various denominations of change and stole a quantity of cash from behind the counter before leaving. The suspect is described as white with a black hooded jacket. Anyone with information should contact the Solve team at Yarmouth Police on 101. Now, the name and the leadership team of a new 9 million special school have been revealed. Plans for a new special educational needs school for more than 100 pupils in Norfolk have reached a new milestone, taking shape on the former Alderman Swindell school site in Great Yarmouth. The new school, scheduled to open in September, has been named the Bure Park Specialist Academy. A leadership team has also been appointed to oversee the running of the academy, which will provide up to 88 places for boys who need additional support around their social, emotional and mental health needs. It will also provide up to 36 weekday residential places during term time 
and is part of Norfolk County Council's £120 million programme to create 500 additional special needs school places. The school will be run by Bodicea Schools Trust, which manages 10 academies, including Ofsted Outstanding Rated Eton Hall Specialist Academy in Norwich. Trust Chief Executive Don Evans said everyone connected with the Trust is delighted that we've been given the opportunity to extend the reach of that work to Bure Park. We know that the Alderman Swindale School was a highly valued part of the local community and we intend to continue that theme by ensuring that Bure Park plays an equally important part in both the local and wider community. With the first pupils due to start in autumn, building work on the Beresford Road site is already at an advanced stage. External shells for two new school buildings and the three residential blocks are in place, while the front of the old school building has been retained. Mr Evans said that this was an important link to the history of the site and its place at the heart of the community. The Trust is currently undertaking a public consultation of parents, carers, pupils, local residents, local schools and any other interested parties. Head teacher at Eton Hall, Keith Bates, is to take on the role of executive head teacher across both schools, supported by a newly appointed leadership team including head of school, Hayley Ross, and deputy head, Claire Keane. Mr Bates said it will provide a lifeline to pupils and their families and crucially it will provide it in their local area. This means that parents and carers will be able to engage more readily with their child's education and that the boys will not be faced with long journeys across the county or even to provision outside of the county. Interesting to see that something's going on on that site. Now, another boat has uh, incurred some theft. A boat called Woodpecker has been cut from its moorings and stolen near Great Yarmouth. Norfolk Police have said the five-metre timber boat was taken from Borough Castle Marina between January the 17th and the 24th. The suspect is believed to have cut the ropes of the boat and taken it from its moorings. The vessel was recovered on January the 24th at Goodchild's Marina. Officers are keen to hear from anyone who may have information regarding the theft. Now, just another item about COVID. Symptom-free coronavirus testing is being trialled in neighbourhoods with higher infection rates across Great Yarmouth. Testing is operating from different sites on different days and serving different areas, with invitations hand-delivered in advance by COVID marshals to people in those communities. Great Yarmouth Minster has been testing people on Wednesday the 3rd and Thursday the 4th. On Friday the 5th, tests are taking place at St George's Theatre Café Bar. Carl Smith, Great Yarmouth Borough Council leader, said we are working with Norfolk County Council's public health team in partnership with the Department of Health and Social Care in order to trial targeted testing of people without any COVID symptoms, an initiative known as symptom-free testing. Many people display no symptoms, so could be spreading the virus without knowing it. 
the voluntary testing of those without any symptoms, asymptomatic, or before symptoms start, pre-symptomatic, will help to find some of those people so they can self-isolate, which will help to reduce the infection rates, protect the NHS and save lives. Given the lockdown, the initial focus for symptom-free testing is people living in parts of the borough with higher infection rates and who have to attend work in person. In order to trial the process, the first symptom-free testing site opened in Galston last week and we've expanded symptom-free testing into Great Yarmouth this week with plans to cover further areas in the coming weeks. Rapid lateral flow tests are being used, which provide a result within 30 minutes. This trial complements the nationally-led rollout of lateral flow tests in some settings such as university schools and some large employers, Mr Smith said. Symptom-free is only for those without COVID symptoms and is separate from the national coronavirus testing for those who do have symptoms. Well, that seems to be all the news I've covered this week. As usual, still quite a lot of COVID, but also other topics as well. Weather's about to change, I think, and get colder with more snow. Uh, Valentine's Day coming up next week. But really, what COVID has shown us is there's more good people than there is bad. So we need to keep remembering that. Anyway, it's Aileen again, reading the news for the week ending the 5th of February. We hope you enjoyed listening. I'm glad to be back. Take care. Stay safe. Bye for now. Well, that's it from this particular edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Desney, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, stay well and safe, especially with this weekend's forecast weather, and bye for now.